Good morning, everyone. Today I'll be reading the Bible verse, and it's from Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Therefore, remember that formerly you, who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the human body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separate from God, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law which it commands and regulates. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God, through the cross which he put to death, their hostility. He came and preached peace to you, who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God's Spirit lives. Thank you, Robert. And thank you, Alan, for teaching us that new song. Um, I don't know about you, but it was a, it was a great way to reflect on, on who our Lord is. So thank you. Appreciate that. We're in the middle of our series, A Transformed Life, and we're focusing on, uh, or the premises, uh, premise of this series is that uh, we are to live as disciples of Christ, being transformed. Uh, to do that, we have been exploring some practices that really have stemmed from our, our forefathers, from the past. Uh, not new things, but things of past traditions that we can rebring into our faith life, I suppose, uh, that engages within the culture that we live in. Cultures change, things have changed, but some of these practices just don't. It's a personal call for each of us, but it's also a call for us as a church. Become more like Christ and help others to become more like Christ. So we started this series by considering our call to welcome the stranger. Opening our arms to all. Now, in a world which is dominated by a me-first culture, or that I'm the most important person in the room, to see the other and to embrace them really emulates who God is. Jordan helped us to understand the importance of using the instruments that God has given us to navigate the storms of life, discerning God's guidance in our everyday. And last week we looked at how we can find some rhythms of faith placing some gaps into our life, our rushed lives, so that the narrative that we sing out all the time isn't, I'm busy, I'm overwhelmed. Rather, finding gaps in the day to make a busy life unrushed, make a life centred in Christ. I wonder how you went with that through this week. <laughs> how did you go with withdrawing to the wilderness places to pray this week? I wonder how you went. I've got to have, I'm going to have to make it a mission. This week was a, a matter of 
not practicing what I preached in all honesty. I think God set me a decent challenge, a conviction to live with these deliberate gaps in my life. And then he placed this week of chaos into my life to see how I would go. And I'm really sorry to say I failed miserably. <laughs> this week, Tarquin, he was part of the school production. So every day he was at school, um, at school at Karalika Theatre doing production rehearsals and um, getting home at, at 11 o'clock, picking him up at 11 o'clock each night. Um, on top of that, Solari was on school camp, the year six school camp, so uh, we were just juggling all these things, um, the kids and I. I was a taxi through the week between getting them to school, getting Tarquin to where he had to be for production, basketball commitments, I had a funeral, um, I had a flat battery as well. I learned to change a battery this week, that was pretty cool. Um, it's not that hard, not that hard, I was talking to Leon, it's actually easier than I thought it would be. Um, we don't need the RSCV for that, yeah, we can do that, it's good. Um, had some issues with the RSCV as well, I'll put that in there. Uh, the gaps became very minimal in my life, um, and often it became non-existent. And it was a week that I could say was very rushed. What did I learn from that? I learned that a week of rush needs gaps. If we're to be transformed people, a rushed life is not sustainable, for one, but it's not conducive to being transformed. Busy is okay. We fill our diary, that's okay, but rushed doesn't help us. One thing that I was able to do through it all was to spend small moments in Scripture. If you use the Version app, you'll know there's a daily reading that you can go through, and I was able to do that. And rather than listening to the radio all week, I've spent some time with, with a, a leadership book that I'm reading at the moment, a Christian leadership book on Audible. So as I drive, I'm making those small gaps still. So I don't know what your week was like, but I challenge you again to schedule the gap into your daily rhythm, to connect with God through small moments even, just tiny moments even, of prayer and connection. Well, today we're going to look at something that is high on my personal conviction chart. Uh, however, sometimes it's not as easy to reconcile as the, the, the immediate would suggest. Last week at our quarterly ministry conference, if you were able to be here, I started to share some values that the leadership and I have been working through a little bit and discussing. Values we believe that are high on the church's sort of who we are agenda, the type of people that we want to be. And these are values that we'd love to, 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 to live by as a church. Now, I'm not going to share all those values today. We're going to do some workshops in a little while um, down the track to, to help us to sort of get it and understand it and sort of really wrestle with what they mean and how it's going to work us out. But, but so, so we're not going to go through all of them today. But the one, there is one that uh, I, I would love to explore a little bit further today. Because it's one that I have to wrestle with, and as I talk to people more and more, it's one that I wrestle even further with. And that's the value of inclusivity. Being a people who include everyone. Because through the text we read this, read this morning, we'll see that, that there's a, like both Jews and Gentiles have been brought together as one, from alienation to being reconciled with God. All are included in the kingdom of God. So this has a massive consequence for the people of Ephesus, for sure. But it's a massive consequence for the church in Kilsyth South, for the body of Christ believers. So let's pray. Let's explore how we can see this, how it worked back then, but how maybe we can see it work for us as a church as well. Now, Lord, we pray this morning that as we explore this, um, this idea of, of having unity and diversity, 
as we explore being inclusive, Lord, I pray that you give us open hearts to hear and understand. May we embrace all. We give you thanks, Lord. Amen. Now, you probably know by now that I love my footy. In fact, I love all sports. I watch most sports on the telly. Um, I will watch footy. I watch hockey. Um, my my uh, nephew actually is a really amazing dart player, so I watch him play darts. Um, I love watching snooker. Does anyone else love watching snooker? No. No. One. Awesome. Yeah, a few people. Now, if, I lived in England for five years, and in England, snooker's everywhere. And so uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan became my, my hero, um, and he was just, he's just a phenomenal, he was the world number one snooker player. And so I used to watch him all the, to- all the time. And I think I liked it because you needed that mental aptitude to, to, to play the game because you couldn't just do one shot and go, oh, where, what am I going to do next? You had to think about what, where the ball was going to be for your next shot and your next shot and your next shot and your next shot. They're thinking five, six shots in advance as to where they're going to place the ball so that the next shot will be good for them. So we used to play snooker as a kid. I used to play snooker as a kid with my family, and we had a pool table in the garage, and we used to play doubles. My brother would be with one parent, I'd be with the other parent. And so I started to to get used to thinking about two shots ahead. Now, I I didn't always work out because you'd sort of shank the ball a little bit and go somewhere else, but I'd think two shots ahead. But when you're playing doubles... If you've missed one and you're going, all right, I've got to readjust where we're going to go next, and then someone else has a go on the other team, then my mum would have a go, and she's got a totally different idea of her two shots ahead than my two shots ahead. So, so we're on the same team, we're playing the same game, but often mum and I were on totally different wavelengths. Now, I get the feeling this was going on in Ephesus and in Rome and even in the Colossian church. In fact, I get the feeling that much of Paul's writings to this new movement of Christianity is about the relationship of the people of God to God God himself, but the outworking of a relationship to one another when they weren't always on the same page, Jew and Gentile. Let's read through Colossians 3. I'll read through a few of these. It says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. And is in all. We're all on the same team. Romans 2, 9 to 11. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. We're all on the same team. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. And we heard this this morning. Remember that you... That at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, here Paul's talking to these Gentiles, those who were far away. They were alienated from the Jewish people. They were isolated. They were set apart. And the covenant, they were even set apart from this covenant that the Jews had with God. They had no hope. They had no God in the world. They had their own gods, but they were lost. Jews and Gentiles, they were far apart from one another. Yet in Christ, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You've been reconciled to God. But you've also been reconciled to the Jewish people. From alienation, you've become reconciled. You are far, but now you are near. 
In the New Testament church, it's not only a, a personal interaction with God that's important. It's also about the, the personal salvation. Uh, it's not just about your personal salvation. But it's about the connectivity that each person had, which crosses race, culture, and any sort of difference. It's about being inclusive. The culture at the time, there was not a great deal of love lost between Jew and Gentile. There were major racial barriers that existed um, that sort of they had to deal with on a daily basis. Who you are would attract certain looks or certain jeers from people. Or depending on who you're associated with, that could even bring life-threatening problems. The Jews and Gentiles had to deal with these barriers all the time. The Jews believed that the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. A bit harsh. <laughs> a common motto for them was, the beast, the beast of the serpents crush, the beast of the Gentiles kill. I mean, the serpents crush, the Gentiles kill. That's pretty rough. It's a pretty offensive statement to be made, really, by the people whose core issue was to have an issue with the serpent in the Garden of Eden. But <laughs> it was not lawful to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth because it would be bringing another heathen into the world. It's a bit rough. It's not the most becoming for the people of God. But the Gentiles, Gentiles they, there was a similar dislike, not just for the Jews, but Gentiles didn't like anyone that was different to them. So the Jews, um, they were a different culture, different race, different religion, different practice. So there's, there's differences, heaps of differences. And therefore, in Ephesus, there'd be this collision between the Jews and the Gentiles. One commentator put it like this. The Gentiles were dogs in the eyes of Jews, and the Jews were homicidal enemies of the human race in Gentile terms. <laughs> so in our text today, Paul sets out to right the wrongs of this conflict between sort of different people groups and concludes you're no longer Jew or Gentile. You now have this new identity that does away with the identities of the past that bring out barriers and bring out prejudices. We're going to become an inclusive people regardless of difference. Paul is saying that in your diversity, you are to embrace, be inclusive. So Paul sets out uh, this in, in a, a threefold way. Firstly, he says he identifies the problem in verses 11 to 13. Secondly, in verses 14 to 18, Paul sets out to resolve the problem. And then in 19 to 22, we see the results of living out the solution. So let's start with identifying the problem. First of all, we need to know what the problem is, I suppose. Well, the problem was clear. The Jews and the Gentiles were different. They differed in their cultures and beliefs. What, how they ate, what they ate, um, what they, what they, how they did things, especially in the way that they were not circumcised, which is the mark that was distinguishing of God's people. When I was at school, my mate and I used to have a secret handshake. Does anyone else have a secret handshake? Okay, okay. I know all you people at home probably do. That's good. Anyway, we had the secret handshake. Um, we thought we were cool, but uh, I thought it was a thing. But anyway, um, but it was a distinguished little club. Me and my mate, that was all. Um, it was just us. And no one else knew our distinguished handshake. We were part of our elect community. And if you didn't know the handshake, you couldn't be part of us. But it happens more than just a secret handshake between two 12-year-olds. Men's clubs where there's special status you've got to be in to, to be a part of it. Mum's clubs where it's invite only. Churches who don't take into consideration the ethnicities and cultural needs of migrants. 
churches whose theological nuances can mean that people may be ostracized or set apart and feel totally left out. Sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's really underlying that sometimes we're not even aware of it, but someone's felt excluded because of us. And it's not good. We need to be very aware. Holding on to our convictions for sure. I'm not saying we, we get rid of our convictions of who we are in Christ, but open to all. So these uncircumcised Gentiles who had heard of the life-changing message of hope in Jesus found themselves outside of this elect community. In fact, the term Gentile was never been, meant to be a term of endearment. There was ne- never a thought that the Jewish community, pre-Peter's vision, I suppose, um, that the Gentiles would be part of it. They were, they were always on the outer. It was a derogatory sort of thing. They were inferior to the Jews. In the eyes of the Jews, the Gentiles were the outer. They were away from God. They were without hope. So Paul describes their plight as being separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise. They are without hope and without God in the world. It's a pretty dire space to live in. In the eyes of the Jews, they weren't in a good spot. But if we overlay this onto the Jews, it seems to be the understanding of what a community of God is like because it's, uh, if it goes the other way, uh, the Jews were attached to Christ. They were included into the citizenship of Israel. They were nationals. They were given the full promise of God. They were full of hope and they had God. In, they were with God in the world. See, this is the ideal for the lived-out community of Jewish believers. And it's through the fact that they were born Gentiles that set them apart. If you weren't in that group, you weren't in. But then we get to the part of the passage which is the most important phrase, two words. And it's really important that we hear these words. It says, but now. But now. You were like this. But now. Verse 13. But now. In in Christ Jesus. Something new has happened because of Jesus. Verse 13 continues. You who once were far away. That was their plight. That's our plight, isn't it? We were once far away. But you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a promise. Because of the blood of Christ, you have now been brought near. You're part of the elect. You've got the secret handshake going on. You are alienated. Yet Now you've been reconciled. Not anything that you've done, but only what Christ has done. So Paul, he identified the problem. You were set apart. You were pushed aside. There's a gap between the Jews and the Gentiles. And it can only be reconciled one way, through Jesus Christ. But in verses 14 and 18, Paul starts to resolve this problem and starts to unpack the solution to this Jew-Gentile divide. And in verse 14 he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. And it's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You know, Paul is saying that through Christ, you have become part of the elect. Just as the Jews through Christ are part of the elect also. So to resolve the difference, you'll become one new ethnic community. No longer Jew or no longer Greek, as Colossians says. Two have become one. So what does that mean practically? Well, national distinctions, preferential treatment 
what we are to eat or not eat, racial issues, they've got to end because now we are one. There's no distinction between the two. Difference is no longer the cause for separation since Jesus has become the common denominator. No longer is there a barrier or a dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles. There's a temple that sat in the heart of Jerusalem, and it was a series of walled courtyards. I don't know if you can see it real well on the screen. Only priests, in the center of the temple, um, right in the center bit, only the priests could enter into that space. And only once a year could they enter, could one priest enter into the most holy place. Then the next courtyard, which is the court of Israel, you sort of see it right in the middle of the big building there. Um, that was where only circumcised male Jews were allowed to go. How they checked who was allowed to go, I'm not sure. That's an awkward way to start a worship service, isn't it? Um, but only the circumcised Jews were allowed to go. <laughs> the next courtyard was the court of the women. But only Jewish women were allowed in the court of the women. Only the Jewish women were allowed there. If you're not a Jew, you're not, uh, you're not welcome there. And then way out on the outskirts, the court of the Gentiles. That's where the Gentiles were allowed to be. They weren't allowed to be any further. So there's, there's physical barriers, physical barriers. You can imagine it if it's here um, at church. Maybe we have some people allowed to be in the building here, but uh, some people not allowed to be in the building. They've got to be sort of out in the foyer there, and then, then others just will keep them outside. It's just... Sounds quite ludicrous, doesn't it? But because of your upbringing, because of your heritage, because of your lineage, because of maybe what you've believed in the past, you're made to be in different spaces. Yet Paul tells us in verse 13 that, that, that Jesus is, is our peace and he destroyed the walls, the barriers, these dividing walls that created hostility between the Jews and the Greeks. And in doing so, verse 15 says... His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two and making peace. Christ's purpose was to bring, bring two groups where hostility was ripe and create a new group different from the last two. These groups are both reconciled to God. Now when Paul says reconcile, reconcile in verse 16, he means to restore to a former state some sort of restitution but through Jesus, they were not being restored to become a better Jewish nation or a master Gentile believing nation. Jesus didn't die in order to Christianize the Jews or Judaize the Gentiles. Jesus didn't create this sort of half thing. Instead, he made a new people. And we're all a part of that. A new multicultural church, the Christian church. This was God's plan from the start. To bring all peoples together. A diverse church. Not divided by differences, but strengthened through the commonalities. Bishop John Reed tells about driving a school bus in Australia where he would carry white boys and indigenous Australian boys who struggled to get along. The, the tide of all the squabbling, one day, far out in the countryside, he pulled the bus over to the side of the road and said to the white boys, What colour are you? And they said, well, we're white. He told them, no, you're green. Anyone who rides in my bus has got to be green. Now, what colour are you? And all the boys replied, oh, we're green. Okay, whatever. Then turning to the indigenous boys, he asked, what colour are you? We're black, they replied. 
No, you are green. Anyone who rides on my bus is green. And the indigenous boys said, well, okay, we're green. It seemed like the situation was resolved. Everyone is the same colour until a few kilometres down the road, he heard a boy at the back of the bus announce, all right, light green on this side, dark green on that side. (laughs) Bishop Reed had the right idea. (laughs) He needed a new colour that fitted everyone. He just couldn't quite get there. Jesus, however, created a new humanity, a new race. Clement of Alexandria in the 2nd century wrote this, We who worship God in a new way, as the third race are Christians. A third race, a new race. For those who are being alienated, Jesus reconciles them, both vertically to God and horizontally to one another. And a sign of this is that there's going to be peace. Verse 17, peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. So Paul in these verses has done away with alienation and brought reconciliation to all people, both to God and to one another. But what does that mean for us in the church? It means for the individual that once again uh, are given some sort of confirmation of our identity in Christ, don't we? You're no longer a foreigner. You're no longer alien. No longer is there any need to live lives that are engulfed by sin or riddled by guilt because you're no longer aliens. You're part of God's household, fellow citizens with God's people. As a believer in Christ, I've, uh, as a believer in Christ, we've become a, we've, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all part of the family of God. And Paul continues to push this as an important reminder of who we are, that we are God's craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God's prepared in advance for us. We can live richly knowing this, but we cannot live alone knowing this. Because as brothers and sisters of a new humanity, a third race, we have a responsibility to one another and to the church. So Paul, in verses 19 and 22, he rounds off with the vision of the result of living in this third race, of living in, new, in a new unity. Well, what does it look like? It says we become citizens in verse 19. It says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but now fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. I remember when we were, in, we were in England from 2004 to 2008. We were there for nearly five years, four and a half years. And there was always something that I missed about Australia. Uh, as much as I loved my time in England and we really got engulfed into the culture there, I never stopped feeling like I was an Aussie. I was an Australian citizen, so my passport always said that. But as I came to realise, that actually meant a whole lot more to me than I, I thought it would. It became part of my identity, So much so that uh, when we ran children's clubs, we uh, would run uh, one called Boomerang. uh, And it was all about Aussie things. And um, yeah, it was... Citizenship in the ancient world was, was of an even higher status. The city you lived in provided you with your identity. I am from that. You're not just a part of it. It's who you are and people would know you because of your place. 
You're always immersed in your city and its rules and its regulations. You lived it out. Your neighbours were your friends. Your customs were what made you proud. So for Paul to say in verse 19 that this third race, the Christians, had become fellow citizens of God's people, part of the city of the people of God, it was a big news. Your citizenship is no longer just in the town that you are. You're no longer a Jew from or a Gentile from. or You're just a Christian. All who are far away are now near. Now that's important to the church because this means that the church is made up of common people. We share a common language even though our language barriers sometimes exist. Our heart beats in the same rhythm. We possess a common heritage and a common history as a community of faith and we have a common loyalty and a common goal towards God. And that common goal is to glorify Him. But we're not just living in the same city. Verse 19 says, we're part of the same family. We're part of God's family, God's household. Can you imagine an orphan? No home, no real understanding of who he is. But then the state says to him, guess what? We're going to make you a citizen of Melbourne. Well, that's great. That's really good. You belong here in Melbourne. You can live freely here in Melbourne. But imagine the joy that would come to that young fellow when the state says, You're not just going to live in Melbourne, but you're going to be part of a family. You're going to be part of the Nielsen family. And they're going to love you, they're going to take you in, and they're going to have you as their own. And they'll give you even their surname. How much more intimate, how much more personal, how much more real is it when you become part of the family? God doesn't just allow us to stop at being a citizen of the city. He says, you have a rightful place in my family family. You belong. Even though you are far, you now belong. The implication for the church is that we're all therefore called to reconciliation and all therefore called to acceptance of all of God's people as brothers and sisters. There's no sense of picking and choosing who we want at church. You can't pick and choose who your brother or sister are, can you? Regardless of how well you get along with someone or not, they are still your brother or sister. There is going to be differences. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to be diversity. You can't undo that. But I wonder if we still see them as our brothers and sisters. I wonder how our attitudes to people that maybe see things a little differently to us are. When we find diverse viewpoints in doctrine, a difference in the type of worship that we sing, or when you come across a difference that someone lives, a way someone lives that, that you don't agree with, I wonder how you go about loving them still, about including them as the people of God. Being members of the one family in Christ asks us to listen, to consider. Rather than fight the diversity, embrace the diversity, knowing that God has reconciled each and every one of us to himself. Because it tells us that we're becoming members of a building of believers, which together encapsulate the Spirit of God. It becomes a place where we're all accepted, taken from alienation and reconciled to God and one another. A place where peace is found, a place where the Holy Spirit has a guiding force. And Jesus is the cornerstone. You know, I want to be a part of that place. And I hope 
you want to be a part of that place too. And as we seek to be God's people, my hope is that KSBC will continue to become that place, an inclusive place that embraces diversity. Let me pray. Our Lord and God, we give you thanks and praise that your word is good, that your word challenges. And Lord, this idea of being inclusive seems easy as we say the word, but when we get in the practicalities can sometimes be difficult. Lord, help us to embrace all, even through the differences. Help us to see past our own prejudices. Help us to be a people who not necessarily give up our identity, but embraces our own identity of being in Christ and therefore embraces others who are in Christ as well. We give you thanks and praise that your word is good. Amen.